our message series uh, on Exodus that we've been talking about how God has been leading his people, right? He led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Uh, He led them uh, through the wilderness. He's been leading them through the wilderness. They've been hungry and thirsty, and he's provided miraculously for them. He's been establishing, helping Moses to establish kind of the structure by which they would live. And now we are, today we're two months into the journey in terms of Israelite time. They've been out for two months. So all this stuff is very new and very fresh in their mind. And this experience of wandering in the wilderness is still pretty fresh and new for them. And God takes them to a place called Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, you've probably heard of before, because this is where God gives them the Ten Commandments, and really more than just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was the start of it, but really the, the law that would uh, govern the way they would live. It really was, the purpose was to establish God's covenant with the Israelites. God had established covenant way in the beginning with Adam and then with Noah and then with Abraham. And now he's continuing that covenantal work here with Moses and the people. Exodus 19 verse 3, Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him, called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob, that's Israel. Announce to it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my command, you will be my special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For the earth, all the earth belongs to me. And now you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So you see, God is calling them for a purpose. They're not called only because they're special and God likes them and all this stuff. Like, yes, God loves them, of course. But they are called to be this nation of priests. In other words, this nation is to draw all nations under the Lord, to model for them what it looks like to be in right relationship with God. That God is going to use the Israelites ultimately to be the one through whom Jesus is introduced, right? Jesus comes down from heaven, gives his life for our sins and the sins of all the world so that we can know God the Father, so that we can be in right relationship with God. Verse 7, so Moses returned from the mountain and he called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord commanded him. And the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. So then now to make kind of a long story short, uh, God is going to call Moses back up to the mountain. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments. There's going to be times where Moses goes up, Moses comes down. Uh, Sometimes he brings back leaders, whatnot. But God is going to descend upon this mountain in a powerful way. And, And the reason is because God is going to demonstrate his power to the people. He's going to demonstrate how significant this moment is. This is not a little like side story in Israelite history here. This is central stuff, that the giving of these commandments, the giving of these laws, it is establishing this covenant that is a world-changing kind of thing. So to help them understand the significance of this and to see the holiness of God, God descends on this mountain, and it is, it's powerful stuff. In fact, we've got a video clip here that they take some footage from uh, one of the sites that could be Mount Sinai. It's a little bit debated. So this is one of the sites that could be. And then they put in some kind of computer graphic effects to show what this might have looked like uh, just to kind of help us understand just how powerful this would have been. Let's check this out. Alone, Moses climbed the steep and jagged rocks of Mount Sinai, placing his feet in steps made without hands. 
far up on those solitary heights, he drew near to the cloud that marked the place of God's presence. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. That would have got my attention. I don't know about you. When God descends in power upon this mountain and, and the earthquakes and all this stuff, the people can see this is something big. This is something significant. And it tells us today just how important the law is, just how important that this is to God. And so uh, I ask you, you know, as, as you, what, what do you think about law? Because I don't know about you, but you know, I appreciate it. I understand it's necessary, at least most of it. I think the interstate speed limits are still a little too conservative, in my opinion. <laughs> That's just me. But, but I appreciate it, but I don't know if I'd say I love it. Do you love the law? Is that maybe you're a lawyer or a police officer? You're like, yes, I absolutely love the law. But for the rest of us, maybe we love parts of it. Maybe we're like, eh, the law, it's, it's okay, all right, I guess. God clearly states this is important stuff. And see, sometimes we get, we get messed up when we think about this. And we think about God's law, and we think, oh, God gives the law, and its purpose is to kind of like to, to crush our fun, right? Like God is like anti-fun. He's up there. He's old, this old curmudgeon up in heaven, and, and he doesn't really like anybody to have fun, right? So he establishes all these rules, right? Like, you know, God's like, don't let me see you cross that line, right? Because I might catch you being happy, and we don't want that to happen, right? Sometimes we look at the law like that. But that's not at all how God sees the law. It's not how Jesus viewed the law, in fact. When he was asked once about what is the greatest commandment, he didn't say, eh, law, take it or leave it. No, he affirms it. He says, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of all the prophets are based on these two commands. You see, the entire Bible, it's this message of love. We, we've talked about this a lot here, that the gospel, there's the first half and the second half. You love God and you love others. You, you don't have one without the other. If you, don't, if you don't have both of those, you don't have the whole gospel. So it's a command to love, and, and all the law is ultimately drawing us to love God and to love others more and more effectively in our lives. That's why we have the law. And when we obey God's law, it is actually for our good. It's not to limit our fun or to wreck our lives. It's actually for our good. I heard a great word from uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. He was, talking about, uh, he was talking about the law, and he was comparing it to guardrails on a road, right? Like you, you've seen these around before. Guardrails are, are, are really important when you're driving. Uh, we see them sometimes on, uh, well, all the time, on bridges, right? So you don't go over into the water. Uh, we see them on dangerous roads like this one, right, where you might be going over a cliff if you don't make that corner quite right. Um, or we see them 
in areas where they come between traffic, if the oncoming traffic could be dangerous, right? Uh, so, so we see them in that kind of area. Uh, and and they're, they're really important uh, to keep us safe. Uh, we, and so we need them as we drive. Uh, do you appreciate guardrails? And personally, I don't give a lot of thought about them, but I would say that I do. Uh, but here's a guy on this video who is very thankful for guardrails. He's out here, as you can see, on a nice little uh, Sunday afternoon drive, right? And Chili has a little understeer problem. Whoops. Yikes. Do you see how big that bushes out from there? Man, that is... Uh it just saved his life. That could have been game over. And I love what happens here as he gets out of this car. He has the sign that is the biggest understatement of the day. Okay. <laughs> no, like almost died, right? Or uh, we've got, actually, I think the top of that sign got cut off. We've got a little edit on it. <laughs> there it is. That's a little, I believe that sign, right? We need guardrails in our lives. We do, because we all have that understeer problem, right, where we overestimate our abilities sometimes, and we get ourselves, well, maybe dangerously off course. We need guardrails. And the thing about guardrails is that that if you, you know, if you hit a guardrail, it's certainly going to mess you up. It's going to scratch up your car. It's going to make some dents. But it sure beats dying. It sure beats the alternative that could have happened had you not hit that guardrail. And the thing with guardrails is that that guardrail is always placed in the safe zone, right? It's not placed in the danger zone. That wouldn't make sense. Like if we put a guardrail up here so I wouldn't fall off, it'd be kind of funny. But if we did, we're not going to put it like over there because, well, I've already fallen off at that point. Too bad for me. You're going to put it in the safe zone to keep you there. And so if it weren't for the guardrail, yeah, you could get a little bit closer to the edge. But if you're driving, do you really want that? Well, if you've ever taught a teenager to drive, do you really want that? <laughs> you really want that car like one inch from the, the edge of, of destruction? No. So God sets these guardrails to keep us in the safe zone, to keep us where we should be. So what's a guardrail in your personal life? A guardrail is a standard of behavior, and it protects your relationships with others, with yourself, <laughs> with God. Like it protects us in our relationships. If you're, if you're constantly trying to live as close to the moral and ethical edge as you can, you're asking for trouble. And, and you're going to inadvertently cross that line sometimes. And you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. You're going to hurt God. On a hard, on a, and see, in our culture... Our culture does not necessarily encourage guardrails. Culture prefers painted lines instead, okay? Now, these are really, really different, right? We see them both on a road, like here. You see the, the, the painted line and the guardrail. The painted line, you're not supposed to cross that. You know that, right, unless it's dotted, right, you know? But if it's solid, you're not supposed to cross that. But the truth is, if you want to, it's not too hard to do so. People look at those painted lines as sometimes suggestions, right? This would be probably a good area for me to stay, but, you know, maybe, maybe not. Guardrails, they're not so negotiable. You hit the guardrail, you're going to know that you hit the guardrail, right? So guardrails are hard, they're solid. Uh, painted lines seem, you know, a little bit more of something whether we prefer to follow them or not. Culture prefers painted lines, it doesn't want to say that there's truth, there's right, there's wrong. No, there's more kind of just suggestions, 
general ideas, right? Like a couple examples here. Let's just take, because uh, culture loves painted lines. Let's take sexuality, for example, right? Like, like God says that sexuality is created for within marriage, right? Uh, you know, Jesus, he defines marriage. He says, you know, that means a man leaves his father and mother, is united with his wife, right? And culture looks at it differently. Culture's left that teaching behind a long time ago. It says, you know, sex really, it's, it's more so have sex when you're ready, right? When you're good and ready, like in your time. Like that's, that's when you should do this. Well, whoever came up with that painted line clearly does not know the mind of a teenage boy, right? Because if you ask a teenage boy, when are you ready for sex? If they're honest, they would say, anytime. Like, I was born ready, right? Like, you know, there's, there's no need for limitations here, right? Culture, that's kind of culture's way. Or think about it with, um, with getting married, right? Culture would say about marriage, well, just, just follow your heart right? It, it follow your heart. And, and that sounds nice. It sounds cute. But when you think about it, it's about the worst advice ever given on relationship. Because follow your heart means go with your feelings, right? And feelings change. They're upsy downsy, right? And, and you follow your heart and you find somebody and you just, you feel so in love with them and whatnot. And you may overlook a whole lot of other things because your feelings are saying, yes, go with this, go with this, right? And so you follow your feelings, you get married. You're not really sure about how big the covenant is or commitment is. You just know that this feels good and it feels right. But if you're married for a while, in time, those feelings start to kind of decrease, right? And some of those things that were once so cute about them uh, eventually become kind of annoying about them, right? And, and, and your feelings may waver, and eventually you may get to the place where you say, marrying this person was the worst mistake I've ever made. And if you're still living by this cultural guideline that says, go with your feelings, do whatever feels right, follow your heart, then you're out. You walk away. Because it doesn't feel so great anymore, and it doesn't feel like what I'm wanting. God gives us guardrails. And guardrails are tougher. Those guardrails say, well, but you stood before the Lord, right? And you committed till death do us part. And hear me, if, if you've been divorced, I'm not trying to shame you whatsoever. Thank God for grace, because I need grace. We all need grace. But, but guardrails help keep us in line, where, where guidelines, we kind of just go the direction that we would want to go anyway. If you have godly guardrails... Don't expect that culture is going to celebrate you, okay, or cheer for you. But, but what you will have is a lot fewer regrets. If you look back, think back to some of your worst decisions. I know, not the favorite thing you want to think about this morning, but think back to some of those decisions that you really wish were different. I bet if you look back, you'd say, yeah, if I had some of God's guardrails in place, I probably wouldn't have done that. I probably wouldn't have gotten into that. I would have stayed away from that or I would, whatever it may be. God's law, God's guardrails are for your good. They're for your good. Let's just give a real tangible one that God gives us. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine. Okay, that's a, a guardrail, right? Do not get drunk. <laughs> and, and by the way, don't, don't say, oh, well, I just prefer to get drunk on beer or hard liquor, right? Like, no, it's, 
do the math. Wine was what they had then, okay? So don't get drunk. That's a guardrail, by the way, okay? Drunkenness is the guardrail. Drunkenness is not the goal, okay? Some of us get that confused, right? Not the goal. It's the guardrail. Don't get drunk on wine. Now, culture doesn't like that kind of talk because it's really specific, right? We want to say things more like, uh, drink responsibly. And that sounds good if your definition of responsibly is okay, right? The problem is that we can have a whole variety of that, right? For some people, they may say, responsibly is like, well, I'm not going to drink or I'm going to have one drink. Okay, fine, right? You know, but for others, you might say, yeah, responsibly means that, like, you know, I'm only going to drink so much that I'm probably only hungover till like, 10 a.m. I can come into work a little late. Yeah, I'm not missing the whole day. That's responsible, right? I don't know that it really is, right? But that drink responsibly can be pretty vague. Where God's guardrail, real clear, do not get drunk with wine. And we say, up, there it is again. The almighty smiter up there is ruining all of our fun, right? Doesn't want us to have fun, doesn't want us to enjoy life, doesn't want us to be able to do what our friends can do, right? This is, this is so ridiculous, right? Like, who, who would live by this? Culture can be kind of hypocritical, though, because if you choose not to drink, which is not the Bible standard, but it's not a bad standard if you choose that, if you choose not to drink, culture will mock you as, like, puritanical, right? You know, like, what, what's wrong with you? You know, like, everybody does this. But if you choose to drink and you develop a problem with it and it starts to cost you, culture will then mock you. You're a drunk. You're a loser. You're, you're saying, how, how can you not have this under control in your life? It's double, double standard. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to you fill in the blank. As a pastor, I see a lot of which leads to. I get to talk to a lot of folks about this. You know some of these leads to. Maybe you've experienced it. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to the DUI that you never thought you'd got, which leads to the loss of your job which leads to the demise of your marriage, which leads to, you know it. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, as I've been with so many folks, I've talked to so many folks who have, that don't get drunk on wine, which leads to my husband hitting me. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to our family's financial devastation which leads to my sister or my brother dying long before their time. Or maybe you're like somebody I went to seminary. Don't get drunk on wine because for her, when her dad would go out drinking, it would, she would go and she would sleep up in the hot attic up high because she knew that when her drunk dad came home, he wouldn't be able to stagger up those stairs and molest her again. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to Christ have mercy on us when we ignore your guardrails. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Some translations say it ruins your life. Not necessarily wrong. But Paul's not done yet. This is how God's guardrails work. Don't get 
drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So it's not just a negative. It's a replacement. I'm, I'm not going to get drunk on wine. Instead, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to trust in alcohol to give me peace. I'm not going to trust in alcohol to help me deal with life's problems. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's a real solution. That, that, that's a real power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead that actually will change your life. I'm not going to be drunk with wine. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can experience joy. I can experience peace. I can experience real life, the life that Jesus died so I can have. That's what I want to experience. That's what I want to live in my life. And so, yes, I want to live according to that guardrail because it's not God trying to eliminate all the fun. It's God trying to keep me safe. It's God trying to protect our family. It's God trying to, to keep us in the place where we should be at. Because God, go figure, the one who created me knows more about my life than I do. And his standards might, just might, be better for my lives than whatever dumb standards I would come up with on my own. Because God's ways are higher than my ways. Let the Holy Spirit be your source, your joy, your peace, your fulfillment. Because the Holy Spirit will equip you for every good work that God's calling you to do. You see, this is not legalism we're talking about. This is not like, oh, there's some little moral, moral narrow path that, that I have to walk, and if I fall off, like, then, then it's all over. No, this is a relationship. God's law was given to Israel to draw them into a relationship with him, to show them this is how God wants you to live. This is how when you live this way, that when you walk in this, these steps, that God is going to lead you. God is going to guide you. And God is going to bless the entire world through you. Do you celebrate God's guardrails in your life? Do you appreciate them? Do you follow them? Because here's the deal. Nobody, or sorry, guardrails, they, they help keep us, uh, keep our lives under control. Because nobody plans to crash. The problems happen when we don't plan to avoid an accident. Right? Like you never get in your car, pull out of the garage and say, you know, that front bumper, it's kind of scuffed up and whatever. I'm gonna, I'll try this. I'm going to text and drive and probably rear end somebody, see what happens, right? Nobody does that. That's dumb. But we get in a wreck when we don't plan to avoid the accident. When we do the things that could very well lead to the accident, we don't plan to avoid it. How are you living? Are you living in such a way that's planning to avoid the accident, or are you heading right towards the crash day in and day out and expecting it not to happen? Guardrails, God's guardrails, they help you grow in your relationship with God. Because when you step away from that which hurts you, you step towards the one who loves you. God's guardrails help you to step away. And so I invite you to, to take those steps in your life. It's, it's not, again, not about legalism. It's about love. It's about a loving step forward towards that God, the God who loves you. Check this out, Philippians 2.13. Would you read this one with me aloud and loudly? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Again, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You see, it's not just about trying harder. It's not about feeling guilty. It's not about shame. No, it's about the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you the power to do what pleases God. That's God's guardrails. He empowers us to follow them. So where do you need to start? 
Is there maybe something that the Lord's been laying on your heart at this time that's like, yeah, this is a guardrail that you need to have. Or maybe you used to have and you've kind of been running over it. You need to establish this more in your life. Maybe God wants to establish that. I'm going to take a moment and and I'm going to pray for us and and kind of lead us in a time of prayer. And I just invite you that that as we pray together, I'll pray some, we'll be silent some, that you would just, just ask the Holy Spirit just to move in your heart in your life, in these moments. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. God, we confess that that we have sinned, that we've messed up, every single one of us. And we need your forgiveness, Lord. We need your love. We confess our sins to you in our hearts right now. Thank you, God, that you forgive, that you love, that no matter how many steps we've taken away, it's just one step back to you. God, I pray for the one today who's maybe overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Would you heal? Would you touch, God? Because that's not of you. Lord, instead, I pray that we would be filled with a a spirit-filled conviction that leads us to change. And would you give us the power to do that, God? Because we confess we cannot do it on our own. We've tried so many times, and we found it to be a failure. Give us your power. Please, God. We need it. For the one who has given up, give them your power. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let them know how loved they are by you, our good Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. That you died so we could be set free. I'm just asking for chains to be broken. I'm asking for healing to happen. I'm asking for marriages to be restored. I'm asking for relationships to be brought closer. And Lord, I want to pray for those who've been hurt when others run over guardrails. Maybe this sermon's brought up some painful memories, God, and I just pray for healing. I pray for your healing touch. You are the great physician, and we trust you. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our memories. We give you our trauma, our pain the scars on our hearts, on our bodies. Please, God, touch, heal.
And God, I just pray for each one of us that you would show us the guardrails that maybe need to be in our lives. Help us to have the humility to to live by them, to follow them. We're not following them for legalism. We're following them because we want to follow you, Jesus. Draw us closer to your heart. Draw us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may know you and be known by you. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes because we want to see you, to know you, to experience you, God, as we follow you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that fills us up. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.